This podcast was recorded on Wajak Noongar country. We acknowledge the traditional custodians of this land and pay our deepest respects to their elders, past, present and emerging. Thank you. This episode is dedicated to the memory of Uncle Jack Charles, whose family has given permission for his name to be spoken. Australia has lost more than an actor. He was a powerhouse that brought light to the struggles of his people, but above all painted the world in vivid colours with his incredible talents and activism. This country was so much better for his presence, and it will mourn the space where he once lived. We are all changed. We are better than we were before, and in that his spirit will live on. Thank you for all you have given us, Uncle Jack. Hi, Nancy here, narrator of Which Read the Podcast. You may have noticed a delay between the last episode and this one. Two weeks ago I caught a regular garden variety cold from my daughter, whose immune system seems to treat seasonal respiratory illnesses like Pokemon. The upshot of this was that I lost my voice for a week, and being a vocalist who has been singing for most of her life, it was important to me that I rest it and recover fully before recording again. I've been writing music and scripts in the meantime, and rest assured... More content is coming. This episode, and a couple of episodes in the future, may feature vocals from me that are less than ideal. I may be husky, perhaps a little less boisterous than normal. I apologise for this, and I will probably re-record any lacklustre stuff when I've recovered fully. I also wanted to let you know that there is an episode of The Supplemental coming. I decided to wait until I had enough of a backlog of questions before I started producing the additional episodes. Remember, if you have any questions, theories or feedback you want answered on the show, you can write to thewitcherypodcastau, all one word, at gmail.com, and I'll include them in the following episodes. Thanks for your patience. Now, let's bugger on, shall we? Witchery, written by Andrea K. Knight. Last time on Witchery, Lessie meets Dionysus, who has some interesting things to say about her. He took in a deep breath, gazing at her intently. You are a very useful little thing that I'd snatch up for myself if I didn't know how angry it would make Aphrodite. I'm not a thing, thank you, she said. He laughed again. <laughs> no, no easy labels for you, dear. Not day or night, white or black, up or down. You're an anomaly that shouldn't be and hasn't been for a very long time. I can't believe you've made it in the world this long without being stolen away. And when Lissy returns home from a wild night out, she makes a startling discovery. Is this it? asks Augie. My lord said you lived in a bookshop. I live above it, but that's the one, she said. She dug the keys out of her bag and walked up to the door to the side of the storefront. Her heart dropped to depths unknown when the door creaked and swung in as she pushed her key to the lock. 
The frame was split. Oh, fuck. And now? Episode 5, The Note in the Book. She pushed the door in, running inside, up the steps, up to the main apartment. Norbert, she shouted, her heart pounding wildly in her ears. Norbert! The door to the apartment was wide open. The contents of the place were strewn in the hallway. She barely breathed as she burst into the living room, her gaze sliding over the absolute destruction of a previously neat, if dated, looking apartment. Addy! Norbert! She didn't stop. Her heart beat faster as she raced from room to room. All gone, all broken, all destroyed. Books were torn, furniture overturned. The kitchen was a mountain of broken crockery, bent cutlery, and the water faucet dribbled, the sink overflowing slowly but surely. At each door she hoped she would see her only family, alive and well, but her deeper self knew it was for naught. Their final room, the bedroom, she left till last. Everything in her was tight as a knot as she turned the corner of a walkway to peek inside. This door was off its hinges. The bed was ripped, mattress thrown aside, bed frame splintered and broken. Wardrobes were open, clothes strewn. The room was empty. Norbert and Adelaide were not here. Lessie felt herself choking, her breath heaving, her heart splintered into pieces. She turned, hearing the footsteps behind her. Warm arms embraced her. Ashika, dear Ashika. She was down from Augie's arms and was now holding her close. What did I do? I left them. Where are they? Lessie moaned. Ashika didn't have time to answer as Lessie jumped within the circle of her arms, then pulled out of them, running out of the door. My flat! She barely registered running up the short flight of stairs up to her front door. It was cracked and ajar and didn't open properly. Lessie pushed it out of the way with some effort. It scraped on the floor as she barged in. Her belongings were torn asunder, a scene now unwelcomingly familiar. The sideboard containing her altar was tipped over and kicked in. Her magical tools and objects were thrown about, broken, bent, destroyed. She couldn't stop to mourn them. She slammed open the doors in the flat that still worked, looked into her closet and then checked in her bedroom. A shattered living space was all that could be found. She heard the footsteps of her friends but they felt far away as the enormity of it all engulfed her. She was plodding into her living area when Augie, Ashika and Luca walked gingerly into the flat. Ashika looked around slowly. Fuck. They're not here, said Lessie, her heartbeat in her throat as she felt anxiety mount. She managed a staggered gulp. I, I don't know where they would go. They're not here, so they're not, they're not definitely dead. I doubt they're dead, said Augie, peering about. Well, I'm glad you're so confident, she said, trying not to quiver from the adrenaline in her system. Let's just call it a hunch, they said, that people like your aunt and uncle are not the kind of people that are vulnerable to common vandals. What do you mean, people like them? Augie moved on, not responding to her at all. They picked through the mess, a wrinkle of thought between pristine dark brows. Hmm. What? asked Lessie. Just noting the damage. How long have you been gone, Lessie? Only a couple of hours, she said, sniffling, wiping tears from her eyes with shaking hand. I yelled at them before I left. You didn't know, said Ashika gently, walking over and hugging Lessie again. Augie continued to look around, keen gaze combing the scene as Lessie wept in Ashika's arms. Luca sighed, and picking a jewellery box and a couple of books from an easy chair by a window, he sat down heavily. Ow! 
Lessie looked up to see Luca nursing his bottom. What? What happened? Sat on something sharp, he said. From the space between the cushion and the chair, he pulled out a dip pen, its delicate nib now bent from the impact of his bum. That's weird, Lessie said, eyes puffed from her sobbing, nose congested. That's Addie's pen, her special one that she writes to her pen pals with. She usually keeps it locked away. It's sentimental. It shouldn't be in my flat. Luca shifted, frowning. Wait. With a little digging under the cushion, he pulled out a book. Lessie frowned, walking over to him. She'd not seen the book before. It was small, brown, weathered, leather-bound with a soft cover. The pages looked yellowed, the gold on the edges worn half away and bitten by insects. Chipped gold letters were hammered into the cover. Compendium of the Shirhan. Well, that looks interesting, said Augie, peering over Lessie's shoulder. You ever seen that before? Lessie shook her head, sniffling and wiping at her tears. She opened the old book carefully, the stiff smell of dust and mould hitting her as the pages opened. A newer piece of paper fell out and hit her foot. It was folded twice. Augie picked it up and handed it to her, and with a puzzled frown she opened it. It was her aunt's writing, rushed in blue ink. Lessie's favourite playlist. Roundabout? Yes. Express yourself, Madonna. You can't do that, the Beatles. A chic had been watching, and upon reading the note, she frowned. That's not much of a playlist, it's only three songs. Do you even listen to them? I do, all the time, said Lessie. Some distant feeling similar to hope was flowering inside of her. They're on my phone, and my laptop. She wagged the note in her hand, back and forth, peering about the room. This note was written today. The ink's fresh. Uh, Addie and Norbert, they weren't stupid. Lessie glanced at Augie, frowning ponderously. I was attacked twice today by those dark dudes. Slewa do, said Augie. Do you think they wrecked the flats? Augie looked about. Perhaps. The Fey aren't usually so vicious or destructive on property, but given the stakes here, they might have been inspired. Well, who else would want to get to me? I mean, this is about me, right? Oh, yes, said Augie, and I'd say that you're definitely being pursued. If I were a betting nymph, I'd put all my money on a supernatural or two being behind this. Lessie frowned. What? What's a supernatural? Augie glanced at her before returning their soft gaze to the destruction. Well, people like Luca and I. Perhaps you, if your potential powers are strong as we've been told. They bent down and looked under Lessie's couch. You know, shapeshifters, parasites, magical beings, fairies, mermaids, all that guff. Oh, shit, I want to see a mermaid, said Luca, eyes growing large like an excited kitten. Lessie's frown deepened to one of puzzlement and surprise as she slowly turned about and eyed Luca questioningly. Well, I loved the little mermaid when I was a kid. That movie bangs, he said, shrugging. You're still high, aren't you? said Lessie quietly, still too traumatised to be jolly. Yeah, a bit sorry, said Luca. He pressed his lips together and looked contrite. Turning her attention back to Augie, who was peering now at what looked like a blank bit of wall, she said, What you haven't told me is why they want me. Aphrodite kind of lightly mentioned that I'm supposed to be some kind of amazing witch. Is that it? Partly, said Augie. Supernaturally talented humans are rare as hen's teeth, you know. Always handy to have one on standby, if you're an important sort of god or goddess. Or other such folk. Lessie looked around her. Are there not any clues here that could tell you who did this? Nothing definitive, I'm afraid, said Augie. And as for who's after you, that could be a very long list, love. She sighed with frustration. Nobody seemed to have any information for her. 
Before that afternoon, when Luca had walked into the bookshop, she had plenty of information about anything and everything, a bookstore at her fingertips, an internet at her disposal. Now she had questions that she had no idea how to get the answers to. She doubted Wikipedia had an entry on dark evil bastards that knock you ass over tit, take your bag, and then return to scare you in an alleyway and laugh at your impotent rage. Instead, she decided to press the one person she'd met that seemed open to chatting about her queries at the very least. The slew I'll do, she said. Do they get technology? Do they understand it? Hmm, I don't think so, said Augie. They're very base creatures, energy of all the dark things in nature that balance out the light, bundled up in a form that humans understand. They tilted their head, lifting the corner of their mouth in a quick wince. Not really all that intellectual, and certainly not interested in human gadgets. I'd be surprised if they even glanced at a book, but they know what they are, and that they're useful. Lessie nodded, her mind lighting up like a Christmas tree as the playlist in the book that her aunt left her tweaked her intuition. Normally such a thing took a lot of concentration. Just thinking about the note in that moment, however, evoked a pressure in the air about her as if someone were huddled at her shoulder. A thought dropped into her mind like a coin into a donation jar, externally sourced but deeply appreciated. It said to her, The laptop. Huh, she murmured. She turned and strode into her bedroom. It had room for a double bed, a wardrobe and a small window. A tiny dresser laden with an eclectic range of jewellery and scarves usually sat by the bed, but it too was thrown to the ground and smashed. Lassie had to put it back up onto its feet so she could reach under the bed. A flush of relief lifted her as she felt the sleek metal body of her laptop. She pulled it out and opening it, she saw it wasn't shut down, just put on sleep mode. That's weird, she said breathlessly. I always shut it down fully. Putting it on the mattress of her unmade bed, she navigated into her music player and scrolled through it. After looking at Aunt Adelaide's note to check, she saw the first song in the recent files. Clicking it, she pressed play. Silence yawned out for a few moments, and then the muted strum of a chord, high, on a steel string guitar. Lessie bit her lip, her heart pounding as the song began to play. The guitar, pirouetting and dancing through the melody, reversed piano chords containing the airy introduction. It all came crashing down into a funk explosion. She was ready to sob again, assuming that the trail had run cold, but suddenly the music cut out. A familiar voice started to talk after the frantic sound of someone shifting the laptop. It was Adelaide. Lessie, we understand why you left. It's okay. We aren't angry. Your uncle and I had to leave the flats. They were coming for you, and us. It's safer if we don't meet up again for now. We would only put you in danger. We'll be fine. We have places to hide where they'll never find us. When the time comes for us to reunite, we'll let you know. Don't waste another moment worrying about us, because right now you are more important. You, my darling, you must run, and then you must do something you've never done before. Use your magic. Your new friends will help you, and if they don't, I will hunt them down and make them wish they'd never been born. The book I put in that note will help you too. It will tell you what you need to do. Keep your wits about you. Don't get distracted. And please, please, when the time comes, remember about the magic. Run for now and don't look back. We'll see you again, I promise you. It kills me to be away from you, my sweet pea. Be a good girl. We love you. We will always, always love you. There was a thump, and suddenly the music returned in a blast of chorus noise that was almost obnoxious next to Adelaide's gentle voice. Lessie stopped the song, then stood up, turning around to face her friends. 
Augie, Ashika and Luca stood behind her, looking at her expectantly. They just left you, asked Luca with disbelief. No, said Lessie, her heart feeling almost dizzyingly light, tears of relief spilling down her cheeks. Ashika stepped forward, putting an arm around Lessie. Lessie patted the arm, almost shaking in shock. It might be all right after all, Ashika. God! Which one? asked Augie. The nice ones, I'd hope, said Lessie, struggling to sound light-hearted and just sounding fragile instead. She turned around, taking stock of her belongings. Well, I can't stay here tonight. Whoever came here might come back. Augie frowned. True. Do you have somewhere to stay? Not really, said Lessie. This place is trashed. Ashika's place is too small for four people, and I know her landlord doesn't allow pets. She kicked her foot and pulled a clownish open grin at Luca. She felt her humour breaking through the shock she felt as the reassurance from her aunt on the recording washed over her in waves. Cute, said Luca tiredly. There was a shadow of a smile at the corner of his mouth. I don't have an actual house or apartment or whatever, said Augie. What? Why? How? sputtered Lessie. Augie held up a hand and counted off the answers to a rhetorical outburst. I'm a nymph. I don't need housing. Magic. They ended with a flourish of their fingers. Lessie sighed, stress building up in her again. Luca cleared his throat. Um, I have a small flat that I'm staying at. I mean, I have a lounge room and the couch folds out. Ashika lifted her brows. You have room for a fold-out couch. A small one. Ashika nodded and pointed at him. Sweet. Lassie felt stress mount within her again as she regarded Ashika. Weird shit was afoot, and she didn't know if Ashika was going to take it very well. She knew she couldn't keep her in the dark for long, however. She respected her friend too much for that. Her thoughts were derailed by Augie speaking to her. Luca is a new friend of yours, yes? Lassie nodded. Do you trust him? She glanced at Luca. He was still rubbing his bottom while peering with apparent fascination at a poster she made when she was a teenager. It had cutouts of various rock band album covers from the 70s that she liked, stuck all over bright purple poster board. It was gaudy and inelegant, but its earnest simplicity had rendered her unable to ever take it down. The fact that he seemed to be intrigued by the embarrassing artefact from her youth warmed her heart, and she felt a faint smile tug at the corner of her mouth despite the trauma from the evening. Don't ask me why. But I do, she said. Good. For tonight, this place will do. Tomorrow, we must keep moving. Ashika blinked, somewhat slowly as she was still quite high. Wait, when did we become the Fellowship of the Ring here? Since your friend has been discovered by dark forces and must hide to protect yourself. Ashika snorted. <laughs> sure, mate, whatever. Stay on your own if you like, said Augie lightly. See how long it takes for the Sluardu to find you. I'd rather they didn't, as they might use you as leverage to gain access to Lessie. Ashika merely stared at Augie sceptically. With a sigh, Lessie stepped forward, taking Ashika by the shoulder. Those bad dudes from outside the nightclub are after us. We need to hide somewhere so that they don't find us. If you go home alone, you might come to harm. Ashika blinked again, staring at Lessie, presumably struggling to think straight through the fog of the hallucinogen still in her system. After a long moment, she spoke. Have you been selling drugs? she asked, tilting her head. Because you know we watched Breaking Bad together the whole time it was on TV and it does not have a good ending, girl. Lessie took in a deep breath, containing her frustration and anxiety. I have not. Just trust me, okay, Ash? Ashika nodded, putting a lax hand on Lessie's shoulder. Sure, okay, as long as I get the couch, I am too high to care. 
For the next few minutes, Lessie stuffed items of importance into a sparkly iridescent backpack. Some clothes, her medications, the book that Adelaide and Norbert had left their note in, her laptop and phone, and some basic toiletries. She slowed to a stop as she saw her destroyed altar. Her heart was heavy as she knelt and pushed the sideboard back, combing the rubble of it for parts of her witch kit. She picked up pieces of her pentacle, smashed. Below it, her wand was snapped in half. Tarot cards were bent and scattered, and her collection of gems and crystals was similarly akimbo. Ah, don't worry on it, they said. All of that is window dressing. You won't be needing it. Confusion and irritation clung in Lessie's throat amongst her worry and allayed grief. She stood, frowning at Augie. That was my altar, my tools. What is a witch without those? If I am some kind of witchy wunderkind type, how the living hell am I supposed to do anything without the things I spent years imbuing with my energy? Augie chuckled, as if she were a child who had just pronounced a word completely wrong, yet still managed to be endearing. How indeed? Tell me, what are they for? Huh? Your trinkets. What do you use them for? Lessie frowned and looked at the altar pieces on the floor. I direct my intentions with them and call upon my goddesses and the energies in the universe to help me do so. Exactly, said Augie. Who did you meet this afternoon? As it dawned on her, Lessie met Augie's amused gaze. Aphrodite? And this evening? Dionysus, she said. And what are you speaking to presently? asked Augie. Embarrassment swamped her as she realised what Augie was driving at. A tree nymph. Augie smiled in a broad, closed-mouthed smile and nodded as they stuffed their hands in their coat pockets and rocked on their heels. OK, OK, I get the point, said Lessie. If I'm talking to gods and goddesses and so forth, I don't need the altar to speak to you. It's still upsetting, you know. I put a lot of love and hard work into that altar. You'll make a new one, a better one, said Augie. But not now. For now, you must keep moving. Should I bring anything with me? she asked. I think my athame is still all right. Leave it all, he said. No need for a blade. You're meant for better things. Sighing, Lissy nodded and followed Augie as they walked out of the flat, carefully avoiding the mess on the floor. As they exited the front door, Lissy turned to lock it and saw the broken frame. Shit, she said, sighing. I can't lock it. Anyone could walk in here. Hmm, said Augie. Stand back. As they did so, Augie lifted their hands, murmuring as wind rustled from the space around them. My lord, make this place unnoticeable. Make it as a rock on a riverbed, and those that enter be repelled by their own worst fears. Thank you. After the air rippled like water in a pond on a windy day, it cleared and the property, shop, flats and all, looked as if nothing had happened to them. Augie then turned to Lessie. Normally I don't speak my intentions aloud, they said. But consider this basic magic 101 and I'm your driving instructor, until we get you to a better one anyway. Lessie gazed at the shop in awe, feeling the difference of energy. Wow. Trust me, said Augie warmly, you're capable of much more than that. Now, Luca, where is this humble domicile of which you spoke? Luca blinked a few times to pass Augie's flowery language, then cleared his throat. Uh, it's a few blocks over. Just follow me. Lessie followed him as, quite frankly, she had nowhere else to go and no one else to trust other than a tripping atheist, a newly minted shifter, a seemingly ageless tree nymph and an absent goddess who had thrown her into the deep end when it came to the supernatural lifestyle. Or maybe Aphrodite had made a decision to come to her before everything fell away from her like fragile rocks on a cliff face crumbling under her feet. Were those kind, warm, loving arms there to catch her? 
She looked into the sky, to the stars that told stories of countless gods, monsters and magical creatures, and then to the people around her who had joined her in this perilous night, unasked, unquestioning. Yes, in a way, those arms were there. But she knew that this was just the beginning of something new, terrible and wonderful. Her aunt and uncle wanted her to run. She would do that, but only until she felt strong enough to turn back and find them again. Then she would want answers, not just as to why they ran or why Lessie was suddenly the person of the hour in the world of magical things and people, but everything, everything they refused to tell her before, that they never told her as she grew up. For now, her goal was safety. Lessie was surprised how bright daylight could be, even when shrouded in the pearly clouds of an early autumn. Her boots squelched in a muddy ditch that ran alongside a grey, cold road, and about her loomed nearly vertical hillsides of what seemed to be some kind of mountain ranges. Green and tumbling, with breaks of shining blue granite. Narrowing her eyes, she peered at them. They seemed familiar, but she couldn't place them. Disorientation began to weave about her, her steps becoming heavy and uncoordinated as the road wound on between the mountains. Where was she, she wondered. She plodded on, assuming that she would remember if she could just see something to jog her memory. Perhaps it was around the next bend in the road. A stand of trees was huddled on the shoulder in the road ahead, and when she finally stomped her way around it, a strange sight almost made her stagger to a stop. A young man was struggling with a bicycle in a muddy ditch. His jet black curls were buffeted about by the highland breeze that whipped up around him, and a long lens camera swung back and forth from the strap that hung around his neck. Out of what seemed like nowhere, the shape of an old woman appeared before the young man on the road. Lessie blinked and focusing on the figure it solidified and was very definitely an old lady with brown skin a little deeper toned than hers, dressed in skirts and cardigans, knit wraps and a baggy knitted beanie on her head of white tight curls. Lessie was baffled as to where she'd come from. There was no further shoulder or bend in the road to have hidden her approach. It was almost as if she had winked into existence out of thin air. She wasn't close enough to hear the woman and the young man speak, but she could see their mouths moving. The fellow in the ditch gesticulated at his bike, and the woman ambled down the road, taking up a branch and bringing it back to the stranded cyclist. Lessie tried to step closer, her curiosity pulling her along towards the unfolding scene. She forgot about privacy or manners. Her mind demanded that she hear what they were saying. It seemed vitally important to her, 
She wasn't sure why. Before she could go any further, her boot-clad foot crushed a stick lying across a depression in the ditch and a sharp crack echoed off the mountains around her. The young man in the ditch gave a startled jump and whipping his head around, he glared at the intrusion as if being interrupted at all was very, very wrong indeed. It was now Lessie's turn to jump, fear gripping her momentarily. She thought the young man would yell at her, at least until she focused on his features. Soft, bright brown eyes peered at her under a halo of black curls. The lad was stunning, but his beauty was familiar to her. It called to her, bringing tears to her eyes. It felt forever lost, yet a part of the very fabric of her being. Then he frowned with confusion. A wrinkle in his brow, one she'd seen in her own a thousand times, knocked the breath out of her. Realisation slammed through her, like the sting of a taser strike. She knew who he was. He was very young, but it was him. There could be no mistaking him. Dad? She breathed. Dad! That's what she thought she said. It very well could have been a wordless moan as she tried to sit up and ended up collecting a face full of her duvet, which muffled her cry. She yanked it away and looked around her. She was in Lucas' flat and she was waking up. She hadn't been wandering along a country road in Scotland, no matter how real the dream she just had felt. There was a very distinct smell of frying food. She squinted, her mind crawling out of the morning fog slowly and painfully. The hallucinogens combined with the alcohol she imbibed last night had left one last gift for her, a cracking hangover. Apparently, they also bestowed one with weird dreams about dead loved ones. Being reminded of her losses was the last thing she needed. She groaned and rolled out of the fold-out sofa bed she'd collapsed in the night before. Lucas' flat was an old one, renovated to look new, a lot of the older fittings ripped out, replaced with newer, more spartan designs, the odd panel of brick wall left unrendered as a statement. The furniture was simple and shades of grey, black, with accents of oak. It looked like a flipped property making money on short-stay leases to foreigners because that's exactly what it was. Luca hadn't made much of an imprint on the place, at least not in the studio or living space. She hadn't been in the bedroom. She turned her head and looked next to her. Ashika was buried under a fluffy duvet, her long black plait sticking out from underneath, along with a besocked foot. A soft snoring could be heard. A faint smile touched Lessie's lips as she saw the pile of bedding containing her friend. It quickly faded when she remembered the night before in snatches and flashes. Her heart tremored, that began to slip into somewhere darker than she was used to. Ashika had been in danger last night, and if it hadn't been for Augie... Well, she shuddered, dreading to think of what would have happened to them. It all felt too surreal, and yet here she was in a hot guy's flat after a wild night out. Lessie knew that the crazy shit she remembered had to have happened, because there was no other circumstance in which the universe would allow her to be in the vicinity of an attractive young man's domicile. She just wasn't that fortunate. Despite that small blessing, she was lost. Her aunt and uncle had assured her that they were safe, and she knew that even though they had been evasive with the truth, she could still trust them to keep her safe. Suddenly, her safety and direction was up to her, and it was alarming, overwhelming. How did people do this adult thing every day and not end up on the couch binging videos in a pile of Doritos and regret? She grit her teeth. She didn't want to let depression or anxiety overwhelm her. There were too many important things to do. She just didn't know what they were yet. 
Get it together, Lassie, she told herself. You can do this. Focus. Pills. She stood up and glanced at the figure at the dining table by a window. It was Augie, reading a magazine while drinking a large glass of water mingled with slices of lemon. In the blue morning light, curved over the magazine, curled dark brown hair tumbling sideways over their head, large blue eyes fixed to the magazine in long-fingered hands, they looked like a pre-Raphaelite subject of striking beauty. Perhaps a narcissus so beautiful he transcended gender altogether. "'Good morning,' said Augie, not looking up for the magazine. "'Sleep well?' "'As well as can be expected,' she said, after struggling to part her lips, "'as she'd slept so deeply they had stuck together. "'She cleared her throat, trying to rid it of the huskiness, licking her lips quickly. "'You're dehydrated. The wine and the beer, I expect,' said Augie. "'Come get a drink, preferably tea.' "'Standing up and straightening out her clothes, Lessie plodded over to Augie. "'Why tea?' "'Milk?' Antioxidants, sugar, water, all the good stuff, said Augie. They finally looked up from their magazine and smiled at Lessie. You'll need it after last night. Lessie dropped into one of the chairs, still feeling bleary-eyed and fuzzy. Do you want your eggs fried, scrambled, or made into an omelette, pet? The voice made Lessie jump, and she did a double-take upon seeing someone in the kitchen busy cooking. After a moment, she realised who it was. Jesus, Aphrodite, she exclaimed, hand over her heart. No, not him, though I wouldn't kick him out of bed for eating crackers, said Aphrodite, who also went by the nom de plume of Cypria Uranos. She walked over to Lessie from around a kitchen bench, a hot plate of food in her hands. She set it down in front of Lessie and gently patted her head. Congratulations on surviving your first supernatural scuffle, by the way. I wish I could say it would be your last. Lessie blinked groggily as waves of warmth and deliciousness rolled over her relentlessly, despite her dreadful mood. The goddess of love was back. Next time on Witchery, Aphrodite has another note of recommendation for Alessandra. You need to see this person, said Aphrodite, watching as Lessie received the paper and eyed it warily. Oh, like I needed to see my aunt, said Lessie. You could have told me to talk to her. The goddess nodded and patted Lessie's hand. I promise you, this time you'll have answers. You need to find someone who will help you learn to take care of yourself. Augie only knows so much, dear girl. You need to know more. Okay, is this going to be hard? Like, is this going to be like becoming a brain surgeon or a rocket scientist or whatever? Aphrodite chuckled lightly. <laughs> oh, Lessie, you sweet twit. It's going to be much harder than that. Lessie nearly jumped as the goddess tapped her on the nose. But it would be far easier for you than it is for other humans. Oh, great. And Augie prepares them for the day ahead. Who was she sent you to? Lessie frowned as she peered at the note in her hand. Someone called Katie? Augie frowned, nonplussed, and Lessie handed the note to them. They peered at it, then promptly burst into laughter. <laughs> Katie Sateria? Really? I don't get it. What's so funny? asked Lessie. Augie shook their head and smiled. Nothing. It's just that the nom de plumes of supernaturals deeply amuse me sometimes. With a final giggle, they leaned across the table, propping their head on their elegant hand and smiling mischievously. Guess what, Puppet? Road trip! What, we can't take the tube? Not where we're going. All that and more on the next episode of Witchery. Click follow or subscribe to get the next episode as soon as it drops. You have been listening to Witchery, written by Andrea K. Knight. 
Produced and edited by Nancy Lorenz. Music composed and performed by Nancy Lorenz. Special thanks to the bees that made the propolis I've been gargling with to heal my throat. And Kit and Rory over at This Paranormal Life for being Irish and helping me get the sound of my accent acceptable just by listening to them clown around for hours on end. Thanks for listening. Hi, Nancy here, narrator of Witchery the Podcast. If you have any questions or messages you'd like to send to us, write to us at thewitcherypodcastau, all one word, at gmail.com. Our social links are also in the show notes. We're on Facebook, Instagram, Reddit, TikTok and Discord. I hope you write to us because we'd love to hear from you. If you like, your question can be answered in our post-episode breakdowns, Witchery Supplemental. If you also want to support the podcast, you can rate us and leave a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify and all good podcast apps. It'll help the podcast grow and in turn, I can bring you more content, better produced episodes and more extras online. Catch you next time.